How are we doing? Hey, can I just say thank you? I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful to be a part of a church that, that is actually getting involved in our community and, and how generous you are. Last weekend, we started the services uh, with right at 200 kids from our school district that, that we're going to help with Christmas uh, because if we don't do it, they're not going to get Christmas and we don't think that's right, so we're going to do something about it. And by the end of the weekend, you had taken all the kids. So thank you for that. And, and uh, we called the school district this week and said, do you have any more? And so we got 12 more. I don't think there's any left for you guys. Sorry. Um, so last night and then the first, like, I don't know how many services we did already today. What is this? This is the last service. So we've done two services before you. So I think they got them all. But don't worry. Don't fret. Don't cry. And don't, don't get upset. It's all right. We still have ways for you to do th- things for the kids in our district. We'll get some information to you. We're going to be doing gift cards. We're doing things for teachers. We're doing things for their staff parties. And we're doing some great things so you can still be involved with all the fun and festivities for the Christmas holidays. How's that? Say, that's good, man. Awesome. Uh, well, I'm glad you're here. We are in a series called uh, Family Portraits. And the heart behind this series, that is, as we're praying through this and where God kind of gave me this image, is, is I was uh, doing like most of us do, mindlessly thumbing through social, right? And you're just like, oh, look what's going on there. Oh, look what's going on there. Oh, oh. You know, you know that whole range of emotions. And you see people, and, and we go through so much trouble to put this image out there for people to look at where they look at us and they think we got our stuff together, right? Like, oh, they're put together. Oh, they must be doing things right. You know, man, I just, I, that's just such a charade and such an exhausting game. And then, then we start looking at magazines and we start looking at people and we realized how airbrushed the photos are. And I mean, every wedding that I do, I ask the photographer, hey, when you go through these pictures, can you Photoshop 20 pounds off for me, please, right? I mean, like, just like, can you make me look good? And I actually had one photographer said, I don't have the software for that. So I was like, yeah, I hope they don't pay you. I'm just kidding. I'm sure he got a good fee, you know, anyway. Uh, but yeah, so we, we go through all this trouble to put this image out there. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, if we'll let the Word of God shape our life and as we submit to Christ as Lord and Savior, maybe there's a picture of our family he wants to project. Maybe it's not of one we're all put together. Maybe it's one where they can actually see his grace at work. Maybe it's where they see the power of God at work in our life because every person on the face of this planet wants to have their stuff together. I mean, I don't meet people who go, oh, no, I like my life been a mess. It's just a mess. I just want to keep it that way. You know, it's just so much easier that way. I mean, we all want that, but we spend so much energy trying to do it ourselves that maybe we just let God do that because he does put our families together for a purpose. And yeah, your family's got some dysfunction in it. Mine does too. Every family has dysfunction in it. Every family has brokenness because people are broken. And when you put broken people together, it creates messes. And, And what I've just learned, I've learned that broken people break things. And we break relationships really well. And it's, it's not that we go around trying to break relationships, but it just happens out of our broken nature. We wrong people, people wrong us, and we just, we end up in this crazy cycle. And I, wanna, I, just, I would want to look at how God is a God of reconciliation and can do something through those relationships. I want to look at two brothers today, um, Jacob and Esau. If you go to Genesis chapter 25, um, 
There's some crazy things that happen in Genesis. I mean, it is full of the dysfunction of people, um, which is amazing because the Bible's not a story about how good we are. It's about how good God is in spite of our not goodness. So in chapter 25, to kind of catch up on the story, um, we're going to meet a guy named Isaac. Isaac is the son of Abraham. God came to Abraham, made a promise. Through you, I'll build this great nation. The promise of a nation came through a family. And God, is, God holds family very dear. He, ref, he refers to the church in the New Testament as family. So he's got a real heart for family. And um, so he makes his promise to Abraham. And Isaac is the first son born out of the promise. Now, Abraham took matters in his own hands and they had Ishmael. But Isaac was the first son born out of the promise. So now you pick up as the generations of Isaac, this is verse 19, the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and um, Isaac was 40 years old when he got married to Rebekah. Um, and so he took her as his wife, and Isaac prayed, verse 20, and Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. Let me stop there because I find some things interesting. If you go back and read the covenant God made with Abraham, Abraham and Sarah were barren. They couldn't have kids. And God says, I'm going to build a nation out of you through your family. And so, you know, that Sarah actually laughed at him, at God. But through you, I'm going to do this, this thing, this promise. But you have to trust me with it. So Abraham finally trusts God with it. And then Isaac is born. And now Isaac realizes, I'm the son of the promise. I'm the first generation of this promise that God made to build a great nation out of. And so he starts praying. Now, he gets married to Rebecca. He's 40 when he gets married. And, and she can't have kids. And I, I kind of see this, this, this theme here, right? Because God loves to do the possible through our impossible. Because that's his nature. That's his goodness. But I also got to think, you know, Isaac is like, man, dad told me about his, his, his connection with God and told me about this promise and told me about this covenant. And, and I'm, the, I'm the first one born in this, this promise that God made. But why is this not happening for us now? And it kind of, I, I don't, don't want to speculate on Isaac, but I'll put myself in his position. I tend to get myself into a valley and think, what's going wrong? What, what am I doing wrong? I'm I just going to confess to you, the month of October, man, I just felt like I was in the valley. It wasn't like anything major happened and nothing bad happened. It just, it just you ever get that where you just feel like I'm in the valley? I don't know why I'm here. I don't know how long I'm going to be here. I don't want to be here, and I, I can't get myself out of here. And it's a tough place to be. I mean, Isaac knows that God has a promise and yet, he's praying for this promise, but it's just not happening. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see that it was 20 years before she had kids. And, and how many of us would have given up? Because we're, we're a 90-second miracle generation, right? We want it now. I want it then. I don't want to wait for anything. Well, God, I know you got something good for my life, and it didn't happen today, so I guess you don't have anything good for my life. And we find ourselves in that valley, and, and man, through, through October, I was, I was just, I was wrestling. I felt like, you know, I just, God, I know you're good. I know, I know you're moving. I know you, but I'm just not, I'm not feeling it. And I was doing the, dis, I mean, I'm reading, I'm praying, I'm, I'm locking in, I'm doing the things I know to do, but it just, 
was a valley. I mean, Heather and I even started a fast. We were fasting, and fasting is not a magic bullet. I mean, it wasn't like God was like, oh, you're fasting. Okay, let me show you everything now. No, what happened was is it really tuned my heart into him. And I came to the point, I was like, God, if I'm in the valley, at least you're with me. If I'm in this place, at least I'm not alone. And God, I know I won't be here forever because you are a good God. And you say in your word, you'll lead me through the valley of the shadow of death. You didn't say you're going to drop me off and say, peace, see you later. You know, you're not, I'm, not, I'm not like the puppy you don't want that you take out to the country. <laughs> I'm just being honest. That's how I feel sometimes. And I, I'm, I wrestle with it. I struggle with faith just like everybody else does. And I read the scripture. I know God is good. I know he's got promises. And yea, they are yes and amen. And I, I still struggle with it. And I got I to gotta think that Isaac, man... Dad, you told me about this promise, and I'm living in this promise, so why is it not happening? And I think Isaac had to make a real strategic move. He had to get off of Dad's faith and stand on his own. Because he didn't say he was going back to Abraham and saying, well, what was his promise again? Are you sure God said that? Are you sure God said that was going to happen through me? No, he starts on his own faith. He stands up on his own faith, and he starts praying for Rebekah. And then God answers, and she conceives. That's a matter of a few words and takes about three seconds to read. In reality, that is 20 years. The children struggle together. Here's where we get into conflict and difficulties. This is going to be fun, y'all. The children struggle together within her. So she finds out she's got twins. And all this is going on and she prays. And, and this is what God says in verse, in verse 23. Two nations are in your womb and two peoples. From within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The other shall serve the younger. When the days uh, to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. You imagine that shock. Let's stop there for just a second. The shock of twins, right? When we were pregnant with Abby, our youngest, I was scared because twins run in my family. And I was like, oh, I, I don't know that I can handle that. Looking back, I know I couldn't handle that. That's why God in his mercy on me did not give us twins. I was like, dear Jesus, I want, I want a healthy child. I don't want two. I, I, I heard a story this week about a mom. She went in for a sonogram this week, and they're doing the sonogram, and she goes, oh, when did you find out you're having twins? And she's like, just now? <laughs> like, What? <laughs> We had a Creek family several years ago that moved, but they had triplets. I'm like, yeah, just throw me in a deep pool now. I can't imagine. She finds out she's got twins, and they're fighting in her womb. So it's not like laying in bed at night with Isaac going, oh, Isaac, Phil, they're kicking. Yay. No, they're fighting because he says there's two nations at war within your womb. They are at each other. They are against each other. And then they're born. The first one came out all red in his body like a hairy cloak. So he has a hairy kid, man. And so they called him Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. Like, get back in here. Or, I'm, you know, they're racing each other out of her womb. I don't know. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when they were born. There's the 20-year promise. But God is faithful. So if you're in that valley, hey, keep going. Keep going. Keep trusting. 
When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he, he, he was uh, willing to eat his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So now you got the parents sowing into division. Look, no parent will admit this, that we have a favorite. But let's get honest, we do. And it rotates. <laughs> I, my kids are grown, and I'll say this to them now. Look, my, my favorite rotated based on who was behaving the best, right? Oh, your room's clean, you're my favorite. You know what I'm talking about. I had a mom last night after service. She goes, I feel so guilty because I do have a favorite. So I said, everybody does. I said, but you need to make sure that favorite rotates. Otherwise, it can create some issues. But what you got is an issue right here that, that Rebecca is favoring Jacob and Isaac is favoring Esau. And these brothers would fight. I mean, listen, I'm a Jedi master at sibling warfare. I got two older sisters and a younger brother. I had to learn how to fight all the way around. I preferred fighting with my brother because we just punch each other. We knock it out, and, you know, about 20 minutes later, we're playing again. My sisters were a little bit tougher to be trained by because they got the mental game going on. And it just, it's not just, I would rather you punch me, and we're done. But instead, we're going to play this game for days. We're going to play this game for months. Because just, I mean, that's, that's, where, that's where you got to be. You got to be trained in this because six months down the road, your sister was like, pow, pow. I thought we were done. I mean, my brother and I, we've been done for six months. Oh, no. So you got to be trained. One time my brother and I were fighting, and he picked up a baseball bat. I just looked and said, you wouldn't dare. He dared. And it hurt. But he got in more trouble because he had a weapon at that point, you know. So I was just going hands on. But so Jacob and Esau are fighting. And let, let's, let's see how this goes. It says, uh, once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and was exhausted and said to Jacob, let me eat some of that stew. I'm exhausted. I'm hungry. Therefore, his name was called Edom. He would be the head of the, the nation called the Edomites. And Jacob said, sell me your birthright. Okay, we went from let me have a snack to give me your birthright. And see, we'll go, what's a birthright? I mean, so give me your birthright. What, is a piece of paper? No, no, no. The birthright is vital for the family unit. See, the birthright belonged to the firstborn son in the, ha- in the home. And the birthright meant you get a double portion of the inheritance and you get the blessing of the father. That's a big position. So, see, if you go into the New Testament where we see that God has given us a ministry or a spirit of adoption, that, that when he saves us, he sets us in a family. And he says, we've been given the right to be called sons of God. Now, what it means is that when we accept the grace and salvation of Jesus for what he did on the cross, positionally, whether you're male or female, positionally, God puts us in his family as the firstborn son. Billions and billions of Christians And God looks at us all in that position of firstborn son with the birthright, double inheritance, double portion, double blessing. So Jacob's like, you hungry? Sell me your birthright. And this is what Esau responds. What good is a birthright to me? I'm about to die. You ever said that to your mom? I'm about to die. Mom, I'm so hungry, I'm going to die. I used to say it when we passed by the golden arches. 
right? And growing up, we didn't have money to go there. So I'm like, can we stop? I'm about to die. No, we'll make a hamburger when we get home. Now, you, hey, I wanted a Happy Meal, not a mom burger. Because you know they're different. So anyway, I'm about to die. What, it's no use to me. So Jacob said, swear it to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew. He gave his birthright for soup. Not even good soup, lentil soup. You know there's kale in there. Now, if there were a tomahawk steak on a grill, I could see making some negotiations here, but not over soup. Not even good soup. The best soup, by the way, is chili. And don't email me or catch me. Chili's not a soup. Yes, it is. I'm going to solve this argument once and for all, and we will not open this vault again. Go to any menu on any restaurant. Where is chili listed? Boom, boom. Case closed. Done. Therefore, from now until forevermore, the argument has been settled. So they sell, he sells it for soup. Look what happens with Esau. He despised his birthright, which means he despised his position in the family. He despised the blessing. He despised the inheritance. Well, so Isaac starts getting older, and it's getting time to bless the son. Rebecca finds out about it. She goes to Jacob. She goes, hey, your dad's going to bless Esau. You need to get in there and get that blessing. So they concoct this plan. Isaac brings in Esau. He says, son, go hunting, and I want, I, want, I want some wild game, and bring it in. Cook it for me, and then come in here. I'm going to give you my blessing. And so Rebecca knows what's going on. So when Esau leaves, Rebecca goes out, kills a goat. She cooks a meal for Jacob. She makes a coat for him out of the hair. And remember, Esau came out of the womb very hairy. So she puts him in a coat because she's like, your father's going to check this. So then Jacob goes in and he says, I'm here, Father. He goes, that was fast. He's like, who are you? He goes, I'm Esau. He goes, I, I, come here. Let me, he can't see very well. So he feels, he feels the hair. He's like, well, sit down, son. Let me bless you. So he eats the meal and he blesses Jacob instead of Esau. Now for us, it's just like, what's the big deal? This is a big deal. This sets the tone for the family and who's going to be the patriarch and who will be kind of the one who, who, who runs the family. And Jacob gets the blessing. So then Esau comes in from the field and he cooks up the deer and he brings it into dad. He's like, hey, dad, I'm here. I've got your meal. And he goes, well, who are you? He's like, I'm Esau. Now look at what happens when they figure out. It's kind of that what just happened moment. It says his father... Uh, Isaac said to him, who are you? And he answered, I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me and I ate it all before you came and I've blessed him? Who was that? And he says, yeah, he's the one who's going to be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me even also. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? Jacob means the deceiver. For he has cheated me two times. He took away my birthright, and now he's taken away my blessing. And he's like, God, Dad, have you given, do you have any blessing for me? And this is what his dad tells him. He says, by your sword you'll live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you'll break 
his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning of my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. That division led to him plotting murder. That's a deep issue. That's deep division. Rebecca finds out about it. She said, Jacob, you got to go. You got to flee. My brother is named Laban. He lives in, in, in Padan Aram. Go there. Hang out with him. And we'll see if we, all this will settle down. But you got to get out of here. So he goes, and he goes to live with his uncle. That's where, that's where Jacob gets into that 14-year stint of working for his uncle. He gets Rachel, and, or he gets Leah, then gets Rachel. Whole other side of dysfunction. That's a whole other message for another day. Whole lot. Of, if you want to read dysfunctional human beings... Read Genesis. And while Jacob was there, God blesses him. He blesses him with livestock, his family, with wealth. And you would say, well, Jacob deceived his brother. He caused all this division. Why would God bless him? Here's all I can reconcile through reading the word of God many times. God does not bless us based on our goodness, but it's on his goodness. And in God's goodness, he chose because he knows he's going to do something through Jacob. So God deals with Jacob. Jacob wrestles with God. God actually changes his name to Israel, and that's where we get Israel, because Jacob then has the 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel who get uh, into bondage in Egypt, and then Moses leads them out, and you got the, New Te- the Old Testament kind of just taking root there. But God shows up to Jacob, and he says, go back. I want you to go back. Look at, look at chapter 31. This is verse 3. It says, Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred. That's your family. Go back home, and I'll be with you. Because God's a God of reconciliation. He doesn't want to leave this thing broken. And so, so Jacob's going to be obedient. He takes an obedient step because God called him to do it. And then, and then he sends messages. He reaches out to Esau. And he sends a delegation ahead to kind of prepare the way. He's bringing them gifts. And he's like, hey, Jacob wants to come to you. And, and, and so they set up this meeting. And then in chapter 33, it says, Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. Now in chapter 32, it says that he was deeply afraid of his brother. So he sees his brother coming with 400 men. He's like, that's not the welcoming committee. So he divides up the family, but then he goes alone. And then he shows up with his brother. Verse 3 says, he himself went on before him, his family, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. He's showing humility. It's a sign of humility. He's bowing down, but look at Esau's reaction. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. That's a picture of reconciliation. That's what only God can author. To go through the bitterness of wanting to murder your brother and then God showing up and doing something to where they embrace like this and then they connect on. Look at what Jacob says to him in verse 10. He says, for I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you accepted me. There's true connection that just happened there. That's not manufactured peace. That's peace that comes through 
through God himself, who is a God of reconciliation that calls us into those those relationships where the dysfunction has ruled and reigned and division is set in and we feel like those relationships are dead and God says, I'm a God of resurrection and I'm a God of reconciliation and I want to do something in that so that God can be glorified out of it. And he calls Jacob to go back and humble himself before his brother and Esau responds in that grace and that's what fuels the reconciliation and the power of God's grace means that broken relationships don't have to stay broken. Broken people will break things. I believe reconciled people will reconcile things. We look at relationships. Broken people break relationships, but reconciled people reconcile relationships. And God is a God of grace and forgiveness and reconciliation. But what we have to understand is that reconciliation has to start with God. We need, we need God to do a work in us. Jacob had to get alone with God. I would say there's, there's times that I, I, I have to wrestle with God or I have to let God wrestle inside of me and the Holy Spirit move through me to show me where I'm, where I'm needing some help. Because reconciliation does not happen without repentance. I've got to get my vertical relationship in line before I can deal with all the stuff outside. Whether I've wronged or I've been wronged, in order for there to be reconciliation there, I've got to have repentance and I've got to have that first before God. And I'm going to say, God, I need you to do a work in me. God, I need you to deal with my selfishness, my pride, all the areas of my life where I feel entitled to hold on to the hurts that have been caused to me. God, I'm laying them down on your altar. It's Romans 12, 1 and 2, right? It's our spiritual act of worship. Therefore, we lay ourselves as living sacrifices down so that our mind can be renewed, our life can be transformed, where I say, God, it's, it, it's now not me, but it's you. And I let God do a work in me. And God, God reconciled Jacob to be a reconciler. I mean, go to, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, right? We love the coffee cup verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the old has passed away. And behold, the new has come. Like, that's me. Well, how many times do we resurrect the old self to hang on to those things? And, and, and here's the thing, it, it, it's, it's all the weight we assign them, right? Because there are times that, that someone will tell me, well, this is what caused the breakup in our relationship and the vi- division in our relationship. This is why we don't talk anymore. This is why we don't have reconciliation. I'll go, well, that's such a minor thing. But it's not my place to call what it is minor because it was major to you. If I told you things that destroyed relationships in my past, you go, that's so minor, but it's major to me. Why do I feel the need to keep resurrecting that and not letting that go and let God do a work in it? If I'm submitting my life to Christ, the old is gone and the new has come. He says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. But then he gave us a ministry of reconciliation. So am I going to operate in a ministry of reminding myself of the hurt and the pain, or am I going to operate in a ministry of reconciliation? Because for there to be reconciliation, there's got to be repentance, and it's got to start right here. And then I've got to move with intentionality. See, reconciliation is intentional. It's, it's hard. It's tough. It's intentional steps. It doesn't just happen. 
If it's just happening, then think about it like this. Is this week showing up at Thanksgiving and you just sweep stuff under the rug like, don't mention that. I won't talk about that. Okay, these are the off-limit topics, and we just kind of skirt through issues, and it's like, well, we're good. I think we're good. I think we're good. And you leave, you leave after all the tension. You feel exhausted because you've been walking the tension. You're like, I think everything's okay now. I guess we'll get back together at Christmas. That's not reconciliation. That's trying to manufacture peace and not dealing with the issues. We've got to deal with the issues with grace and love. Not out of bitterness and hurt and rage. We've got to confront the issues that need to be confronted. But it's got to be intentional. God specifically said, go home, Jacob. Go back to your family's land. Go back. I'm going to do something. See, we want the goodness of God. We want the promises of God. But it's got to start with God. Look at the prayer that Jacob prayed in chapter 32. He says, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I might do you good. We want God's good. I'm going to be obedient, God, because I want want your good. But then this realization, look at this. I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For only with my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I've become two camps. What he's saying is, when I left, I just had this stick. But now you have grown this, and I'm not worthy of it. But it's realizing, Jacob's realizing It was God's intentionality that was at work in us. See, if we're going to be the new creation in Christ, and all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, that's Jesus taking the intentional step. We're the ones that wronged God. And yet, he's the one who took an intentional step to reconcile us. That's grace. And to have that intentionality, I've got to have my mind set I'm being intentional with it. I have my mindset to forgiveness and my mindset to reconciliation. And, and let, me, let me break that down a little bit because forgiveness is for me. Reconciliation is for us. Let, let's say it this way. If, if, you, if, you cause, if, if you hurt me, like you wound me, and man, we're just, we're just having a time, right? It's like uh, our relationship is now broken. I'm going to forgive you so I don't carry it. Because if I carry the unforgiveness, then I'm going to be, like Esau in the beginning, it's going to create bitterness. And that bitterness is going to lead to thoughts that are going to try to move out into actions, right? And he cried with a bitter cry. The bitterness fermented into a plot to kill his brother. So I forgive, not for you, but for me. And when I forgive you for hurting me, it's, I'm not saying I'm okay with what you did to me. I say I'm going to be okay. Because you probably don't think about the hurt the way I think about the hurt. Listen, I've, I've, I've experienced a lot of freedom by following Christ. And I could still take you back to wounds that have scars from sixth grade bus rides. And there's not, I doubt the people that sat around me on the bus that, that chose me as their target that day or those days, they don't have those random thoughts throughout their life. Oh, I remember when I shredded Matt on the bus in sixth grade. No, they're not carrying it. I'm the one that how a random thought like, oh man, that, that hurt. That kind of felt like when I got shredded on the bus in sixth grade. But I've got to reconcile the forgiveness to say I'm good. I'm not going to carry this. The reconciliation is, is creating the, 
those boundaries, it's intentional so that our relationship can be healthy. I mean, I, I was working with a, a couple in their, in their marriage, and, and he had caused some deep wounds in their marriage. And we were talking about forgiveness and reconciliation, and she says, I forgive him because I don't want to carry it. And I, I mean, the Bible says, I've got to forgive. As I'm forgiven, I forgive. So I forgive him. But why does, it keep, why does it keep happening again? That's where we had to talk about reconciliation. Reconciliation is working together intentionally to set up boundaries to keep it from happening again. So if you hurt me and I, I forgive you and then we don't set any boundaries or we don't work through reconciliation, what I've done is I've just enabled you to hurt me again in the same way. So we're going to be intentional about boundaries and trust and building that. But it's also intentional not to put up a wall to disable what God wants to do in our reconciliation because I'm guilty of that. There are people that have wronged me that I could so callously and so coldly say, bye, we're done. I'll see you in heaven. And I've disabled reconciliation. I've had to go back and fix that. But it's intentional. And when I go back and fix it, here's where it's hard because I got to be humble. I have to walk in humility because in order for there to be reconciliation, yeah, there's got to be repentance. It's got to be intentional. It's got to start with God and flow out, but I got to walk in humility. And when we get hurt, when we get wounded, it's hard to do. Yeah, I can stand up here and preach it all day long. But when I get off of here and I got to walk it, I got to tell you, it's difficult. And what I've learned is that if I don't humble myself before God, he's going to humble me. Because he loves me too much. He loves you too much. To allow us to keep walking in selfishness and pride. And keeping the record. And keeping score for other people. He says, I love you too much for that. I want to take you back somewhere so I can do a work in you to do a work through you. I want grace to transform you. I want grace to reconcile us, to reconcile others. And it's hard. And I got to walk in humility regardless of the other person's reaction. I've got to take responsibility for my responsibility. And my responsibility is to humble myself. So if I've been wronged, I got to forgive and I got to walk in humility and I, I have to be a willing participant of reconciliation, but it's going to take two. And, and when I have wronged someone else, I have to walk in humility. I have to go, I have to repent to Father, my Father, I have to repent to them and then we work at reconciliation. But I'm not responsible for their reaction. What did Jacob do? Jacob just humbled himself before his brother. He bowed down seven times. He even called him my Lord. He would say, he said, your servant. He saw your servant is here. And then and, and, and I want you to see, flip the script here. Look at Esau. Here's how I know Esau had dealt with the forgiveness. Um, Esau said, I have enough, brother. Okay, let me back up. Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I met? What's with all the fanfare? What's with all the livestock? What's with all the gifts you're bringing me? And Jacob said, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. 
how do I know Esau has dealt with the forgiveness in his own heart? Because he said, I have enough, my brother. He didn't say, I have enough, you deceiver. I built my own life outside of what you stole from me. I hope you're happy. No, no. I don't need anything from you because I, I'm good. Keep what you have, brother. We're family. They'd already embraced each other and wept together. They've experienced a reconciliation. That takes humility on both sides. I had somebody ask me, so what if they never come and ask for forgiveness? What if they never come and we get to work the reconciliation? We have to live as though God is working on it. It's not dead. And even if the relationship is dead, I mean, we just celebrated this today, right? We have a God who is a resurrection God. And we have a reconciling God. And maybe today is the day we take an intentional step towards reconciliation. Maybe it's a first step towards God. To say, God, I need to be reconciled with you because that's the ministry of reconciliation. Who through Christ and what he did on the cross is reconciling us to himself, not counting our trespasses, our sin, our wrong, our faults against us. But he's reconciling us as righteous and he's giving us a ministry of reconciliation with a message of reconciliation. Maybe this week is the first intentional step towards reconciling in your family. And just seeing what a resurrection God can do. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. And God, we humble ourselves before you and we've wronged you. We've wronged others and God, we've been wronged by others. And as we humble ourselves before you, I, I, we repent. God, we're sorry for our selfishness. We're sorry for our pride. We're sorry for carrying these things that you've called us to lay down on the altar, to walk in love that is patient and kind, a love that you said that does not keep a record of wrongs, a love that does not rejoice in unrighteousness but rejoices in the truth, a love that bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things. God, we repent and let your love, your grace, your mercy wash over us. You offer that to us fully and completely. God, I'm praying that today's the day you reconcile lives to you as people ask you for your forgiveness and salvation. And God, out of the capacity of grace that you give us, may we operate in that capacity to forgive and ask others for forgiveness. I pray that we take intentional steps in humility towards reconciliation with people that, God, you've, you've already laid them on our mind and on our heart. And we don't need to ask you who it is. You're already laying it out there. Would you give us the strength, the humility, and the courage to have those conversations and take those steps? 
And I pray for grace to restore relationships that give you glory. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I love you guys.